This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 34 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Polo, what is a chucker anyway? We would like to thank our sponsor, Equestrian Collections. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. You can visit them at equestriancollections.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop calls. It's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Well, Helena, hello there. Hello. How are you this week? All right. So you went hey. horse shopping over the weekend. Any luck? I, uh, I, <laughs> well, that depends on how you define luck. Um, <laughs> did you buy a I horse? Did, I did not buy a horse, okay. um, which could be a lucky thing. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Your I've husband been, would think so. I've been trying to take a look at this one particular horse in New York for a couple of weeks now, and things just aren't working out. However, I do want to give a shout-out to um, – Chris and Erica over at Canaan Center Farm in East Chatham, New York. Uh, we went to go look at a couple of their horses this weekend, and I just have to say that Erica runs a fabulous barn. Um, I think she has great horse care and, and stable management philosophy, and um, their horses are just lovely, 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 lovely. Um, nothing fancy, but so well done, um, and they were great hosts to uh, me and my friends as we were trying their horses, so... Huh. What was the name of the farm again? Canaan Center Farm. Canaan Center Farm. Well, there's a yep. shout out to in Canaan in Center East Tennessee, um, of Albany area, up on the, the border of Massachusetts and New York. So that was um, they made it fun. You know, it's it's when you're horse shopping, it's really hard. But when you run into nice people and well taken care of horses, it's actually a pleasure to shop. Great. So um, yeah, and hey. I sent around um, a YouTube link to a video of Ledyard in 1975. It was the U.S. Open Eventing Championships. Did you see that? Yes, I did. As a matter of <laughs> fact, my wife and I watched it this morning. And for those that don't know, my wife used to work with you up at the uh, Myopia Hunt Club. She was the barn manager there, and, and you were there as well. And this is a video of Ledyard is the farm adjacent to Myopia, right, in the backside. Right, we we share some territory. Yeah, so Ledyard Farm also used to be the home of the USEF. Is that right? Was it um, the uh, Ledyard was host to some of the? It was basically like the birthplace of American eventing, eventing. I guess. Right. They so were. they used to have the big events. Then that, this video, I'm surprised somebody found this, was from 1975. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> The differences too. What did you see about the differences? I know Jennifer kept Jennifer kept looking for places she's ridden before. She and that one hill. She said yeah. that hill is like straight down. And these people <laughs> were scary. going like ninety miles an hour down that hill. <laughs> I, I won't even trot down that hill when we hunt through there. <laughs> um, 
it was you can see some spots that you know a lot of the the cross country course is still intact and and there's still some um, some folks go and do cross country schooling there. Um, well, there's a, a private farm right now. Yes, it's a private farm, and there is a um, there's a business that's run out of there called Oakwood Equine. I think I'd have to double check on that. But um, Ferriel Johnson is the trainer there, and she's quite an accomplished rider, eventer, and fox hunter herself. Um, but Ledyard Farm, and it's so nice because um, it still belongs to Air, uh, the Air family. A lot of people may know, a lot of eventers may know Neil Air, and they're so generous with their property because so many people just ride through there. We either hack, we hunt, we school through there. So it's still a hub of the horse community up here in the North Shore of Boston. But um, to see the, um, oh my gosh, to see the excitement that this huge event was held there kind of in our backyard was really cool. Wow, and the clothing. I mean, just the clothing and the outfits and just everything about it. It was old school sort of filming like you would see in a movie theater as a pre-trailer. You know, it was kind of, it was, it's very well done, the little piece actually. And yeah. The, the and the riding was amazing. The riding was absolutely yes. amazing. Yeah. It looked, it was so fast and so flowy and it looks so effortless effortless it i think today's um eventing some the cross country courses it just sometimes looks so well they're much more complicated they're much more technical than they used to be uh they used to be more wide open and now they're they're all these you know they're just more technical features in them and that's one of the conversations you know i do the eventing radio show too and it's one of the conversations that the riders always have especially the old time riders is uh, when you look at this video, though, that you truly appreciate how open the courses were. There weren't a lot of flowers or frills, or it was just, you know, flat out uh, cross country. Yeah. Uh, and, and really open. It, you really, truly appreciate it here, too. It was, um, yeah, it actually made me want to get out and go event. Right. It was inspiring. It was inspiring. But I think, too, you know, I, I posted this link on the Chronicle oh, of you? the personal forums um, just because, I, I mean, come on. There's an entire eventing forum there. How could they not love this? And um, a lot of people had said they wish that today's cross-country courses rode the way that one did. Right. You know, open and flowy and fast and and I thought that was sort of a common theme between, oh, that, oh, I wish, you know, for for that kind of riding again, that back in the, you know, people who were around long enough to know what that course rode like were sort of pining for the old days. Back in the roads and tracks days, which there there is a uh, series now being put together to bring back some of the old time roads and tracks events where you actually did the whole thing, you know, not the abbreviated version of cross country anymore. That's so, what I figured. Great. Just in time for me to get started in eventing. Yeah. They're going to make it really hard. That's right. So they're bringing that back in a, in a series of like, I think it's like six events around the country that still have the ground and the land to do it. Uh, are going to That's be a bringing, good point yeah. to have the ground and the land. And, you know, somebody had said about this particular video, it's interesting to see how they used the natural terrain of the course to ask those questions of the horse and rider combinations. Whereas like today's 90 degree hill. <laughs> oh, God. But um, and I, there's just not as much open space to do that, I think, right. these days. So, you know, in defense of some of the more contemporary course designers, you, you have to work with what open space you have. And sometimes it's not as challenging as what you saw in that video at Ledyard 30 years ago. 
Well, this show is about polo, not eventing, but uh, it was a great video. And, you know, at the beginning of every show, we like to tell somebody, we like to tell people about something cool we found in the previous week. And this is really cool. We're going to post it on our show notes at stablescoop.com. So if you want to see this video from Ledger in 1975 U.S. Open Eventing Championships, uh, check it out at stablescoop.com. Also want to mention, Helena, we have a new affiliate now carrying all the shows on the network, and that is called 4foraquestrians.com. It's your resource for everything equestrian. Uh, they actually, if you go to their website, you'll see the links at the top there. They have one called Radio, and they're now carrying all the radio shows on their uh, website. It's sort of an everything portal kind of website, uh, horse training, horse sales, equestrian news, English riding and th that kind of thing. They just have everything on there. It's it's sort of an all-around portal site. And mm -hmm. she was very kind. She wanted to carry the show, and we worked it out. And she has uh, the episodes up there now. So we appreciate her uh, picking up uh, picking up the Horse Radio Network. Great. And uh, we also want to mention Equestrian Life, our social network. Don't forget to go over there and sign up. It's free, and you can comment on our shows there, have discussions with other listeners, and that all can be done at equestrianlife.com. It's the Facebook for horse people. Also, don't forget to sign up. We have lots of stuff not to forget uh, this morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm listening to you because I'm like, what am I going to forget? Uh, you're going to forget all of it, probably. Um, we have our giveaway. That's one thing you don't want to forget because you can win stuff. It's it's free. It's easy. You just go register. And every at the end of every month, we do a drawing and we give stuff away. And, and this, this month, month, we have... This is Equestrian Collections Month, isn't it? Right. The two things. We have Equestrian Collections and Easy Signs Online. Oh, right. Okay. So Equestrian Collections has given us a $75 gift certificate. You can buy anything you want at equestriancollections.com. And as you know, they're our newest sponsor. We spoke to Chris last week. And yep. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. Over $100 million of product available any given day. So, yeah, you're only allowed to spend $75, not $100 million, But no, 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 yeah, no. You something. can take the $75 and apply it to a larger purchase That's if right. you want. That's correct. Up to Come on, Glenn. You're talking to tech addicts here. <laughs> so sign up for that. And also, our friends at EasySignsOnline.com have donated uh, three custom stall plates. These are little plates you put on your stall. It has your horse's name on it. They also could have your dog's name on it or your, your name of your room, your bedroom, or whatever you want. Um, and they'll be personalized. You can pick your colors. You can pick what you want on them. And they're, they're very nice. Uh, and, of course, Equestrians Collections is known as being the leading farm sign company in America. They, they are by far the leader. You can see on their website at easysignsonline.com. They do all shapes and sizes and colors of signs. Um, and they have examples of hundreds of them that they've done from across the country, from the simplest to the fanciest. So you can check them out. We appreciate both Equestrian Collections and Easy Signs donating those products for this month's giveaway. Don't forget to stop to Stable Scoop. Follow the link on the right-hand side of the page and register. You have to re-register every month. Don't forget that. So sign up this month. Okay. So finally, we get to what's on today's show. Yeah, that was a mouthful, Glenn. You poor thing. I know. I went through that whole thing. <laughs> this is why I'm co I'm taking a break. Now it's your turn. Okay. Uh, our, today's show, we are going to be talking about polo. Um, we've got a great guest on today, Edward Armstrong. He is the director of clubs and tournaments of the U.S. Polo Association. And Ed's going to be talking to us about polo in America today. Um, a little bit of history, a little bit of what's going on um, with 
the polo, I don't want to call it an industry, but the sport, um, with the sport of polo. And, um, yeah, I'm interested to hear what, what Edward has to say about this. Cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. I know polo is something that you have right down the street from you every year. Yes, we right, uh, literally right down yeah. the street. We've, we've, got, we've uh, gone seen polo with you a couple times, actually. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Actually, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a great spectator sport. It is, and you know, it's. I think it's becoming. I was chatting with Ed a little bit, and we'll talk about this. But it is becoming a little bit. Uh, he said that definitely attendance is growing as far as the the uh, uh, you know spectators for polo is definitely growing in America. And I know that when we used to go watch polo there at Myopia years ago, there weren't half the number of people there are now. It's truly non-horsey people are coming out to watch polo. There, I've been up in this area for close to 12 years now, and um, when I talk to some of the old-timers from the area, they say even 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, that that um, the polo matches were superbly attended. It was the thing to do, the place to be. It was so much fun. It was actually kind of low-key. It wasn't, you know, hoity-toity. It was really sort of your grab your grill and tailgate and go watch the polo matches. But then that did sort of fall off, and um, spectators started dwindling, and now we're starting to see a little bit of a resurgence um, in spectators for the sport. So I'm hoping that it continues to go that way because, I mean – you know, it's just fun. It's fast. It's exciting. You can sit and you can eat. Anything, anytime you can watch horses and eat at the same time, I'm so happy. Well, anytime you can drive your car up to the edge of the field. I mean, that's <laughs> how cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's really neat. You know, the first time we saw Polo, uh, my wife and I, we happened to be taking a trip to our first trip to Kentucky to Lexington. And we went, this was like 15 years ago, and we went to the Kentucky Horse Park. And that day happened to be the National Polo Championship game. So we just stumbled on it that day, and we ended up watching the National Championship polo game. Uh, that was our first polo game we ever saw. Was and it, was, you were hooked ever since? Oh, yeah, no. it was fun. I mean, I love stomping divots. I so. do, too. <laughs> I do, too. And Grace loves it. You know, it's something the kids can do. They feel so important. And you, yeah. don't, you don't have to worry about spilling your drink. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Bring your drink with you. It's allowed. <laughs> so, and then on a little bit sadder note, I think that before we get to Ed and we talk about polo, We'd be severely remiss in not mentioning a hero of my wife's and yours who passed away a couple days ago, actually, um, and that's Sally Swift. Yes, Um, that's a loss to the community. I think a lot of people were surprised she was still alive because she she was almost 96. God bless Uh, her. She was three weeks away from reaching her 96th birthday, and Sally Swift, of course, is known in, you know, all over the world for her centered riding program. And she has a, had a couple books out uh, called Centered Riding and Centered Riding. Was it Centered Riding 2 or Beyond? Something like that. They're yeah, well, I've got Centered Riding, riding by my bedside. It's all beat up and yeah. dog-eared. And, yeah, it's – um, You know, my wife is definitely, you know, a believer. As you know, because you took lessons from my wife, she's a believer in Centered Riding. Yep. And in everything that Sally really taught, she got to meet Sally a couple times, and that, that was the thrill of her life. Uh, Sally, actually, just to talk a little bit about her, because I think it it, des- it deserves the little bit of time here that we can give. I did try and get somebody on from her foundation, but it was bad timing here, I think. Sure. Um, she was born on April 20th, 1913, so she was about 96, and she was born in Hingham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Not too far from A here. true Yankee. Yeah, that's right. And she was known all over the world for Centered Riding, and she authored, oh, here's the two books. It was Centered Riding and Centered Riding 2, Further Explorations. 
which together have sold more than 860,000 copies. So this is a very popular, for a horse book, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's almost platinum if it was a record. So uh, in August of 2006, Sally Swift was inducted into the United States Dressage Federation's Hall of Fame. And in June of 2008, she was presented with the 7th Annual Equine Industry Vision Award by Pfizer Animal Health and American Horse Publications. And the award recognizes innovation, ingenuity, and services across the entire equine market. It was funny because at the age of seven, she was diagnosed with scoliosis, and she had a curvature of the spine. And she worked for many years with a lady named Mabel Ellsworth Todd. And she was the author of a book back then called The Thinking Body. And she could believe that you can control parts of your body with your mind. She's not the only one that has believed Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and that you could, you, so you could control those parts of the body with your mind when you couldn't uh, control them with physical movement. Mm-hmm. So she used uh, the concepts of her, of her work to really develop the four basics of centered riding. And that's where centered riding became or came from. But what a lot of people don't know is she actually worked for 21 years. Her real job was she worked for the Holstein Association of America. Yeah, she graduated from Cornell with a BS in agriculture. So she uh yeah, she was no no stranger to farm life. Right. And it was only after she retired from that and later in her life actually that she began teaching lessons. Um I think it, I think the rate was like she started at what $10 or something per lesson. Hmm. Um and she never advertised. All her, her teaching spread by word of mouth. She never advertised. Uh and before Well, long, that's I mean, she's made a disciple out of Jen who then passed it along to me. I mean, this is stuff like that is going down generations and generations from rider to rider, from right. mentor to, to student. Correct. Yes, it, it just... Uh, that, that's, that's how Centered Riding came to be. It was her, it was her personal program for herself. And right. she just started teaching her friends. And, and, you know, when something is that revolutionary, it's really quite simple. Right. And so it's it's easy to teach, it's easy to learn, it's easy to believe in. And I think when you have that kind of passion and that kind of simplicity, it's going to spread the way Centered Riding did. Well, we encourage everybody to, if you haven't gotten her books yet, you should. Uh, and that's Centered Riding and Centered Riding 2. You can find them on Amazon. We'll put a link in our show notes. Uh, and, and we give the best to her family and everybody there. Everybody at the Centered Riding, uh, I think it's the Centered Riding foundation i'm not sure exactly what the it's called but they're all you know i'm sure they're all very sad uh, today it's a, they've lost a uh, we've all lost a valuable person in the horse community and and our best to all of them yeah yeah so go out and buy those books they're still in print and yep. um you know le- learn it and live it and then pass it along to somebody you know and then i think sally swift's um philosophy and her legacy will live on Oh, I'm sure it will. There's, that's not ending because it's good. So, yep. All right. From Sally Swift, we want to just take a minute and talk to you about our friends at Equestrian Collections. You know, we do these shows uh, for, for your benefit so that you can have something cool, horsey to listen to and something that we hope is fun. So far, the feedback's been very good, but we could not do these shows without our sponsors. Helene and I do like, uh, we joke about not making any money, but occasionally we do like to make a little bit of money. <laughs> so so uh, this show is actually brought to you by Equestrian Collections, which brings the whole universe of equine shopping to your fingertips. If you missed last week's episode, stop by there and listen to it. We had Chris on talking a little bit about 
Equestrian Collections. You know, every day the site is calibrated to show you all the products from each major equestrian brand that's available that particular day. And any given day, they don't pick and choose products for you. They're all there. And any given day, as we said earlier, they have over $100 million of products for you to choose from. And we know riding and taking care of your horse takes up lots of time. So they're open 24-7, and you, obviously on the website there, and you can find exactly what you need. It's easy to shop around their website, and they have a beautiful website. She hires three different graphic artists, and you can tell. I mean, their emails are beautiful, and, and their website's beautiful. So we're thrilled, uh, or they're thrilled, actually, to be sponsoring our show, and we're thrilled to have them. And they do, they're going to be doing lots of exclusive coupons, offers, and news for us just exclusively here for the Stable Scoop Show. And one of the first things is we have a $10 off coupon. It's $10 off on any order of over $120. And you can click and see there. You can actually, the coupon code is SCOOP1. So when you go to their site and you buy something, you can get $10 off an order of over $120 by using the coupon code SCOOP1. Now, this is only good for a couple more days. It's good through the 14th of April. So stop by now, use that coupon code, and get your savings. That's at equestriancollections.com. That's correct. And they also have a coupon and deals book there. All of their stuff that's on sale, you can apply the coupon to. So you can go to their sale department as well, and and they have tons of stuff in there too. Oh, nice. So even if something's on sale, you can apply the $10 off. She's doing doing good by, uh, by Stable Scoop, by our show. Yeah. So we appreciate her a lot and thank her for support of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Well, let's get to our guest. Let's get Ed on. He's the Director of Clubs and Tournaments for the United States Polo Association. And we want to talk to him a little bit about polo in America today, where it's at, where it's going. Hi, Ed. Thanks for coming on the Stable Scoop Radio Show with us today. Glad to be here. Well, I'll tell you what, it's fun. Helene and I both thoroughly enjoy polo we've been we've been actually to many polo matches together up at myopia hunt club there in massachusetts and uh we've uh we've uh stomped a few divots together <laughs> with uh wine in hand <laughs> so. hey, are you up, are you from up this way ed or, or are you you are yes, you from I this am. area I, I was born and raised on the north shore of boston well, I'm not going to have a Kentucky accent. So you'll no, be able to I can tell that. <laughs> That's okay. We won't hold it against you. Now, the, okay. Polo Cl- the Polo Association, rather, the United States Polo Association, is in Kentucky, though. You're at the horse park, right? That's right, yep. yep. Okay, so you, you uh, and there's no more beautiful place to have an association than at the horse park. No, it is very, it's very nice, especially now in spring. Everything's green, and it's, it's looking good. Except for all the construction noise around uh, for the last couple right. of months. <laughs> that should be ending soon. So let's cover a couple of the basics about um, polo, because while I'm a big fan and Glenn's a big fan, we really don't know a whole heck of a lot about the the details of the game. game. So um, tell us a little bit about the history of polo and maybe the Reader's Digest version of what a layman would see when they're watching a match. Okay, well, the current wisdom feels that the game started about 2,300 years ago in, in China and Persia. In, in the east eastern world, and uh, as the English sort of made their way around the world, they discovered it, and the English were always horsemen, and so they adopted the game and played it through the the 1800s. And in the late 1800s, there was a a gentleman, I believe, from New York, James Gordon Bennett, who was publisher, who uh, was in England and saw the uh, 
the uh, army officers playing polo and thought that was a neat thing to do. So he brought it back to the United States, and uh, they started over here in the, uh, in, like I say, the, the uh, 1880s, I believe. And this association was formed in 1890. Oh wow! So I didn't realize the association was that old. Yeah, and the the way we we have a, a pretty complete set of uh, of our rule books and blue books is what they're called, and uh, they go right back to the beginning. And the, the you know it was a very small group, but it was spread out around the country: Pennsylvania, New York, Massachusetts, uh, New Jersey. Uh, and that's mostly the Northeast because that's where the population centers were. And early on, it became popular in California and Texas. Huh. And uh, yeah, and uh, it, it was the, the association was formed, I believe, to sort of you know regulate. Now that they started to get more serious about polo and uh, challenge each other to matches and so forth, they wanted the, the playing field to be level. So they created a. a uh, a set of rules and tournaments and uh, and started to get organized and and really it was a very small group but they saw that the uh, the value of being an organized group and that's the way it, it it was for many many years so now you're the director of clubs and tournaments what what exactly are your duties well anything to do with the club if you want to start a club, we'll lead through that process and, and tell you what you need and what you you know what you should have and but moving on to club development, we will help you figure out how to grow your club if that's if that's what you intend to do. It, it dovetails nicely with tournaments because we offer USPA tournaments from a very low level right on up to the, the U.S. Open, which is the highest level of polo played in the United States. So depending on what kind of club, what kind of players you have there, there are tournaments that suit every club. And we can help you figure that out. And sometimes, to to the smaller clubs, USPA tournaments can seem intimidating and 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 a, a big undertaking. But what we find is that once they do it, they they see that it's not so bad, and it gives their club credibility. We've got some awards to give out. It's a good enticement for new members to see that they're part of the national organization. And uh, so the the two departments, clubs and tournaments, to sort of dovetail well to all help promote the sport and uh, increase membership and, uh, and make clubs uh, more successful. What does a club consist of exactly? Well, it, the bare minimum is you, you must have three player members uh, and uh, you've got to have access to or own a field or an arena or someplace to play. Um, you've got so to it's not a club dues. isn't isn't a team. Is it, no. or is it a, a? Is it several teams that play within a club? Yeah, and each club sort of organizes, you know, the the, the best way that it suits them. Some clubs are very tight knit, and there's a, you know, there's several teams that that play amongst each other, and then they they'll travel or host other teams. And other clubs are pretty much the facilities, and they'll have a lot of professionals come in, and a lot of teams from around the country. Florida has a lot of clubs that that's, uh, teams from around the country and around the world will convene there and uh, this time of year compete against each other at a, at a very high level. But in terms of the club, there's not so much the uh, the camaraderie of membership of a club. It's sort of that, that, that club hosts those events. 
whereas there are other clubs around the country and in Florida as well who have sort of the same people and families and so forth that belong to the club and they belong there year after year and they play their games there and they're part of the club and they, they help to do everything, you know, manage the club and fix things and buy things and improve things and that sort of thing. So there's different different levels of it, but each club is its own entity and within that club there'll be teams. Um, and uh, Well, how many members are on a team? An outdoor polo on the grass, there's four members on a team. An indoor polo that's played in an arena on dirt, there's three members of a team. Now, are there actually more members on the team, and then they substitute in and out? Is it like hockey that way? or uh, not, not so much like that. I mean, there is unlimited substitution. Uh, each player is rated, so, um, so it, the substitution is limited to substituting a player that's qualified of a similar rating. Um, because each match is handicapped as well. So, it, uh, but yes, the, but typically you won't have you know six people playing on a three-man team or eight on a on a four-man team. But that does happen sometimes in the lower levels of polo. You know, and how is a match played? Now, the first thing you have to learn about polo is what the heck a chucker is. A chucker is nothing more than a period in um, in hockey or a quarter in football. You know, it's it's just a time. It's seven and a half minutes in the arena and seven minutes on the field. Uh, that is the running time that the clock, and that's not how long it will take if you're a spectator uh, because there are stops for fouls or out of bounds or injury or that sort of thing. Right. So seven minutes of play at a time. And within right. that seven minutes of play, um, are you able to make those subs? You're saying you're able to make any amount of substitutions you want or need to. Yeah, between chuckers, you know. Uh, you oh, in between chuckers, like, okay. Right. It's not like basketball when you just go to the bench and you tell them you're coming in, and when time is out, they buzz you in. You have you have to substitute at the end of a chucker. Or if, if say a player was injured, and continue, or for any other reason, you know, he was exhausted, or, or for whatever reason, uh, he could stand down and another player could take his place, but it has to be during very specific times. Okay. So how many horses does a player use in a game? That, again, varies greatly by your goal level. Now, um, the kind of polo that a lot of people play in this country, they can play four to six chuckers on three to three to six horses, uh, but typically at the higher levels, they'll have at least six and probably eight or ten horses uh, to play a six-checker game. Wow. So a lot, what's happened now is the horsepower has gotten so competitive that many players will switch once per checker, I mean uh, twice per checker. So they may be playing less than, than 12 horses, but they're playing them in split checkers so that they're as fresh as can be. And if speed becomes a factor, then you've got a good fresh horse under you that can, can make the difference in a, in a high stakes game. I imagine it's like any other thing where you I imagine these even the professionals have their favorite horses that they save for that end of the game or that kind of thing. You must have your favorites. Absolutely. Horse and and your timing and all that sort of thing. The higher level you go in polo is very very important. Um if two like players are on two similar horses, 
and one gets the opportunity to switch and the other one doesn't, you can see a marked difference in that player that has had the opportunity to switch switch horses. So it's it's critical. And as you say, your, your favorite horse is a horse that you really like to play, that you know what you can get done on them, and virtually every professional player knows which horse he would prefer to be on. <clears throat> in the sixth trucker, when, it, when all the cards are on the table in a close game, you want to be on your most comfortable and your most performing horse. So, so yeah, when you have, uh, sorry, when yeah. you have um, um, a match, who who actually considers this this strategy? You know, um, which which horses to use at which point in the match, and um, is there a sort of a coach, or is each member of the team responsible for playing out their own strategy with their horses? And um, so the coaching is growing in the sport, and at the higher level, sometimes. Uh, the coach will coordinate, uh, you know, what plays they make and that sort of thing. That they will help with that situation. But generally, uh, most professional players and what most players in general know their own horses and can generally make the best selections about about how to do that. But coaching is growing in the sport, and uh, I don't think it's the major function of coaching, but I'm definitely sure that it's part of it and probably will become more part of it. But the player has the intimate knowledge of what he can get done on his own horses. And uh, right. you know, typically a coach, I think, would probably say, well, I want you on your best horse in the sixth checker, or or we want to you know, leave at halftime ahead, so play your best horse in the third checker, or that type of thing. And um, the player will sort of make the, the actual decision about which, which horse he wants on. Now, Art, you, said, you mentioned professionals. Are there actually paid professional polo players? Yes, and they're but they're paid by the team uh, sponsor. There's a, there's a lot of gentlemen and ladies in the country who will assemble a team that, uh, of which they are generally a part uh, of that will uh, hire you know one, two, or three professionals to play with them. So uh, the professional in that sense, we don't have uh, a league that's paying anyone, or you know it's not. Right. It's not in, in that same vein as uh, you know an NFL. So they're not making sixty million dollars a year playing polo. I don't know of anybody that's making that much, but it's a very <laughs> not playing very, polo anyway. <laughs> well, there, there's people in polo that are making that much, but they're not making that much playing polo. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. There are some very highly paid professionals, and you know their salaries are private and they're not disclosed right, right. to us. But but. Uh, but a lot of times there's combination deals between playing in tournaments and, and the, the sponsor buying horses for the rest of his team and himself. And so, that, yeah, there, there are people. I mean, I wouldn't suggest to a young kid starting out that being a polo pro is a viable thing because, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it'll happen if, if the person has talent. And obviously that's it's a good thing. We want to encourage people to do that if that's the way to go. But it's it's not that big of a field, so it's... It's a very competitive and uh, and very difficult way to make a living unless you're at the very top uh, end of the game. Well, you know, do you go ahead? Sorry, go ahead. do you find then that um, that polo is increasing in popularity among mainstream, um, well, the world in general because it is a global sport. Number one, among just regular people, and then number two, among horse people, has its popularity yeah, grown? It, it, it's it's gaining notoriety and popularity among people for in different ways. I mean, our membership 
it had a peak over 4,000 three years ago, and it's dropped back down a few hundred. And with its economy, it may drop more. But uh, So in terms of people playing the games, I can't honestly tell you that it's growing by leaps and bounds. But certainly among fans and among other horse people, it, it, it's getting a lot more notoriety. It's getting more presented to the public in a sponsorships of, you know, mainstream sort of companies it is becoming more and more commonplace uh, so it is it is gaining popularity which we hope that you know it, that that will come around to increase uh, you know membership in clubs around the country among other horse people with you know which is always a target audience because they understand what it takes to feed and maintain horses uh, but but among other you know peoples as well which is why that $60 million salary is kind of important if your horse eats like right. mine does. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a barrier to entry, obviously, is the number of horses, I would assume. Well, but let me take you to the, the medium and lower levels okay. of polo. Uh, can be done on a budget that's no more expensive than certainly any of the other horse disciplines and probably, um, you know, as, as economical as, as, as other sports like boating or or sailing or, you know, RVing, I mean, with the cost of fuel and the cost of machines and, and uh, places to stay, that's not cheap either in itself. So, um, but the average person, if they want to play and they can own at least two horses, I would say, would would get them into the game at a level that would, that would give them, uh, you know, plenty of recreation for the dollar. Um, some of the smaller clubs will accommodate people that have, two, three horses, and mix them into a game. And that's the time you may see uh, seven or eight players on a four-man team because you've got people with two horses that can come in for for two to four chuckers. And they just, you know, I, I come from a club where we did that a lot and would sort of have the, the whole sheet out there and figuring out who's got what and, and divvying them up according to their strengths and who's got how many chuckers and all that sort of thing. And with a little bit of work in the beginning, you end up having a pretty pretty nice afternoon of fun, and not everybody is is uh, is in it for the top dollar. So, right. you know, in the top horses again, to be competitive and get the salaries and get the prices for the horses that you want to get, a professional needs to spend a lot of money on horses, and a and a the upkeep and training is expensive. But to get on a horse and swing a mallet and play polo, you don't have to have you know a, a very very expensive horse. You can use a nice calm, uh, you know, riding horse, and uh, and teach them how to play, or you know, get some that have played at higher levels that are now sort of retired down to a less stressful life, and it's it's a great way for uh, for us to sort of recycle our stock uh, down from a, a more demanding schedule down to an easy uh, an easier schedule where they're they're playing at, at a lower level and you know the demands aren't as high on them physically. You what know, kinds of horses are yeah, that's what I was ask. Yeah. Is there a breed that's any better than another? Well, you know, the all-around best horse is the thoroughbred because of stamina and intelligence and, and speed. But there are all sorts of, of other... I mean, there there is no definition. It's a it's a horse or pony of any breed or size is, is, is quoted from our rule book. And um, you'll see quarter horses, you'll see quarter horse thoroughbred crosses you'll see uh you don't see a lot of arabian that you bet you they're out there i was just there. gonna say 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, they use Arabians for uh, endurance riding, so they've got they've got the the, uh, the stamina. They think too but... much. Yeah, but it's that whole mallet flying in their face thing. They yeah. think too much. There's good self-preservationists. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of people think thoroughbreds are that flighty, but they, you know, and, and they can be. They you certainly do see can a be. lot of thoroughbreds, though, don't you? I see. But, but there's a little bit of a different yeah. work ethic between the, the Arabs and the thoroughbreds. Yeah. Yeah, no, and but but no breed. I mean, I've got a paint, you know, that that sort of. I know he's got some thoroughbred in him, but he's obviously got some quarter horse in him, and and he's great, you know. And I've I've got others that are straight thoroughbreds, and uh, you don't see very many draft breeds playing polo. There's really not probably very many not. Percherons out there. No, that would be fun, no. though. That would, that would be my fun. <laughs> that would be a fun exhibition game, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there you Remedial go. That would, draw, that would be funny. Sure. Well, you know. <laughs> Well, let's we need go to back. sponsor that. <laughs> I want to know a little bit about the mallets. I took one polo lesson and I loved it, except it was really hard to. Um, it was the mallets are very heavy. I found them very heavy, and swinging them is not as easy as you might think. Um, tell me a little bit about that in terms of what kind of physical presence the, the sport requires from the rider. Well, um, the mallet, the mallets, and of course, if you take one lesson and you're using the instructor's equipment and you know maybe the lighter mallets were already taken or whatever but you can find mallets that are lighter now they're not going to be it's there's going to be an adjustment period so you do need to build up your arm strength to to be able to manage a mallet uh, you know properly Um, and there's techniques for holding the mallet to reduce the fatigue when you're not using it and that sort of thing but but you you know you, you should be fit so that you can handle the equipment, handle the horse. Um, your legs, you know, are something that you need to uh, develop the right kind of strength in, and it helps you to get better suited to the game other than practice, unfortunately. That's the way it goes. Right. Uh, you can't become a good rider if you don't ride. You can't become a good hitter if you don't swing the mallet. And, um, you know, I'm not surprised at your impression after one lesson because that, you know, your arm is not used to swinging a you know fifty inch, fifty two inch piece of wood, and um, and it uses muscles that have not been used in that way. So, uh, so but it is a it's something that most people can overcome. You know, that, that leads to the question: If somebody's interested in getting involved in polo, how do they get started? Well, they'll start by calling the association if they if there's not a local club, and we can try to find a club in their area that they can work with. There's polo schools all around the country, um, so they can use us as a resource. They can also go to our website, which is www.uspolo.org, and click on clubs and find a club anywhere in the United States. We have their websites, their emails, and phone numbers and everything that's available to us we have on the website. And most clubs are looking to maintain and grow their their membership, and they're very helpful in terms of uh, helping you get started. If it's not something they have, they probably know of someone in their area they can hook you up with. So it's a pretty good network of information uh, to to tap. And as I say, they can they're always welcome to call us at eight hundred two three two USPA. But I want to mention to our international listeners as well that uh, you can there's polo associations all over the world, so you could check yep. out your local polo association as well. Yes, you can. Yeah, there's uh, some of them are very active, some of them not so much, but uh, but there are many, many, and um, 
we have we have uh, resources there too. So if you if you're listening from another country and you don't know where to where to get in touch with uh, someone in your country, then you can send us an email through our website or give us a call, and we'll do the best we can to help you find something. Well, that's great. Well, there is there is um my two favorite loves are horses and at one time was lacrosse and I used to joke that if there was any way that I could combine those two loves I would be the happiest person in the world and apparently there is um, does polo cross come under your jurisdiction at all tell us about that polo cross is, does not come under our designation they have their own organization and um, it is it is very basically a combination of lacrosse and uh, and and riding. It, you know, it's it uh, you, you use. It, I don't know very much about it, but you do use a wicker uh, stick like you do in lacrosse, and you you throw the ball to each other and that sort of thing. And I, um, it it seems to be fairly static. It's a it's a it's a uh, activity that they do at the pony clubs, and it you know promotes coordination and and. Um, uh, it's very popular, actually, with the pony clubs. They, yeah, kids love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does. It yeah. has that well, same kind of, yeah. um, you know, uh, fast-moving hockey, polo, um, soccer type of. There's a game, yeah. there's a strategy. You know, there's a team effort there, and um, it's fast. It's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. So do you do you see do you, do you see any of, or is there a hope that? By all of these kids through Pony Club playing polo cross, that they'll eventually get into polo. Well, we do a lot of clinics around the country at individual pony clubs and 4-H clubs and things like that, and uh, pretty successful with that. We also have a, a wonderful collegiate and scholastic program and a junior program that that's responsible for introducing young kids to to polo, and um, we have a similar response as the polo cross does with the kids it's you know kids that love horses they they do anything they can with a horse and um you know we've we've been pretty good at uh, at soliciting people to do that uh, pony club has a fixed amount of events that they have and at this point uh polo cross is it but uh, in england for example they, they there's a ton of kids who go through the polo training program at the pony clubs in england um and so, you know, we use every opportunity we can to introduce polo to kids. And uh, we do that partially through the Polo Training Foundation, which is a, a, a sister group to our association that's involved in raising funds for, for training kids to play polo, kids, adults, and, and anyone who wants to try it. So that's, uh, but yeah, we, we do clinics with any, all types of groups around the country. Great. You know, I wanted to ask you, too, just came out last week, and I don't know if you know much about it, and I, I didn't quite understand what it's going to do for everybody, but that the um, Polo basically signed an, uh, what's called a Memorandum of Understanding with the FEI. Um, I don't, what, what, what was that meant to accomplish? Well, we, uh, that, that was done through the the uh, Federation of International Polo, which is its right. own group that manages some international tournaments around the country, and uh, they serve to help countries who don't have a, uh, a strong association uh, with things. We have actually made our own inquiries 
into the world games here in Lexington. I did it myself with an application process and meeting people here who are involved. And what we're trying to do there is uh, there are some opportunities for uh, exhibition equestrian sports during the World Games in 2010. And we'd very much like to work with our local clubs to put on some demonstration games so that you know, people of other disciplines from around the world can see what American polo looks like. And um, so uh, I, I think they're just helping to, to get that done. Well, that's great. I tell you what, uh, I encourage anybody, if there's polo in your area, definitely stop out, see a game. It's usually cheap. It's like $10 a carload or something like that. You can, um, in many of the fields, one of the coolest things about polo is you back your car up to the field. <laughs> and you have your tailgating right there. They encourage eating and drinking and, and having fun on the sidelines. Uh, we were joking about, we maybe should explain that for somebody who hasn't seen a polo match. We were joking about stomping divots, which almost sounds uh, body, but it's really not. It's uh, in between chuckers. You go out there and, uh, or at halftime, is it halftime? It's halftime. Halftime, you go out there and you stomp down all the divots that the polo players have made, and that's encouraged all the fans to go out there and do that, and it's kind of a fun thing. And not all of the polo matches, but some of them, people get dressed up in their fancy hats, and the kind. In, in some of them, it kind of looks like you're at uh, you're at the Kentucky Derby. Uh, right. <laughs> and and for 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 true horse geeks, it is really cool to watch the equine athletes it's so much fun to watch their bodies working and to see their training and to see them perform it there is no to me it's just such an awe-inspiring impressive performance of equine athleticism you, you'll you'll your mouth will be open it's pretty cool although you don't want to leave it open because you know <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know there. what there, you know what else i find cool about the atmosphere is you're sitting there in your lawn chair beside your car and you You've had your, your picnic lunch. It's the sound of the hoof beats when they're all flying down the field at the same time. Yeah. That sound, there's nothing like that sound. I mean, racing, you don't get that because it's, it's all done on dirt, and, you know, you don't just, you don't feel it like you do mm-hmm. in polo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. anyway, that's Get out our there opinion. and go watch a match, everybody. <laughs> thanks, United Ed, States for joining polo us. Go to us-polo.org. And thanks, right. Ed, for joining us. We appreciate you being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Take care. Hey, that was pretty cool. That was um, Ed gave me some information I didn't know about. Like uh, maybe I should try a second polo lesson. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with a lighter mallet. <laughs> that lesson was over a year ago, and my arm is still sore. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like when you take up bowling. You really don't want the twenty-pound ball the first time you go out. No. You know, maybe start no. with the twelve-pound ball. No. Well, everybody, we, we, I definitely encourage you to get out and watch a polo match because, as Glenn said, it is great fun. Just the feeling about doing it. It's just on a beautiful day. There's nothing better than sitting there drinking your wine, eating your, your, your bologna and cheese, and uh, watching polo go by. Yeah, your bologna and cheese. That's right. <laughs> eating chicken salad. Okay. All right. And now, I'm very happy to say we got some feedback. We have um, an email from a gal named Amanda who uh, – talked a little bit about or she sent us some, a nice little message she writes hi there i just wanted to suggest some horsey blogs of the week i really like behind the bit www.behindthebit.blogspot.com and we'll put a link to that in our show notes she writes stacy does a good job of finding interesting things to write about and i enjoy reading her posts i also really like esther garvey 
Her blog is not totally about her horses, but an interesting take on riding when you live in sub-Saharan Africa. I enjoy your show and look forward to more episodes. That's Amanda from Victoria. I think that's British Columbia, yeah, Canada, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So and thank you, Amanda. You know, I'm just looking up here. Uh, her, The second one she talked about, the girl from Africa, actually does have a horse, I think, and she blogs from Africa. Mm-hmm. And she lives there, and she has the best pictures and most beautiful stuff on her site. If you just go to ishtarnews.blogspot.com, that's I-S-H-T-A-R news.blogspot.com. And she, she, she talks about more than just her horses because, you know, she talks about her life living in sub-Saharan Africa. And it's just a fascinating thing to follow. So, uh you, you want to check that one out as well. So, now, did you know about that before Amanda sent in her email, or were you? Yes, inspired? I was familiar with that, and I'm also familiar with Behind the Bit. is a very popular blog site for the horse world. A yes. lot of people read Behind the Bit. And we're yep. going to try and get both of them on. I would love to get Esther on from Africa sometime on the show. Um, you know, I do know she has uh, access to phones, so we're going we're gonna to try and get that arranged. I think that would, okay. be, that would be a fun show in itself, just talking to her about that, wouldn't it? That would oh, be- I have a yeah. thousand questions about that. So we also want to mention our other shows. And thank you for the email there, Amanda. And we encourage everybody to write to us at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com. Just send us an email anytime about anything. Uh, show recommendations or whether you like the show or hate it, we want to hear from you. Not so much if you hate it. but Yeah, not so much if you hate it. <laughs> you can say it nicely, like, I'd prefer you didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not even going to give you suggestions. On it, uh... <laughs> Come up with your own ideas to, to bash us. <laughs> I'm not going to help you out. <laughs> All right. We'd like to pro- promote our other two shows that we do on the network. We have the Eventing Radio Show. This week we had our food episode with Sharon Thompson of the Lexington Herald Leader. She's a food writer. She also wrote a book called Tastes of Kentucky. And we talked about food and what there is to eat in Lexington. And Chris and I recommended restaurants to eat at when you come to Rolex. So, ah, so that's huh? that was our What to Eat at Rolex episode. And also the 2010 radio show, we, we started our Chatting with the Champions series. And what we're doing is speaking with past champions of World Equestrian Games. And this week we had Megan Benjamin, the gold medal vaulter. She was the first U.S. female to win a gold medal ever at the World Games in vaulting. So we had her on. She's a sweetheart. She's about... She's in college, like 21, 22 years old. She was 18 when she won her gold medal at the last World Equestrian Games. And she loves vaulting, and she's a big advocate for the sport and was a lot of fun to chat with. Um, cool. What do we have next week, Kalina? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> next week, you know, it's, I can only think like 22 hours ahead. Yeah, I know. Uh, next week, we have Morgan's. I think one of the things we're going to be trying to do is introduce um, the Stable Scoop listeners to a variety, not only of a variety of topics and horse disciplines, but on a variety of breeds. And, um, you know, if you're like, you kind of look for the mutts and you like the mixed breeds, there's still um, a lot of horses are very true to their breed type. And, you know, just like when you're looking for a dog, you want to find a horse that, a horse breed whose type fits what you want to do with them and fits your personality. So we're going to try and introduce you to some um, some breeds you know about and some breeds you've never heard about. Next week, we're going to talk about Morgans. That'll be great. Yeah, that was the long way of saying <laughs> next week is Morgans. Sorry, Morgan people. <laughs> yeah, this is why I have my own radio show, so I can that's blab. Right. That's right. <laughs> 
And the show notes, get our show notes of all the links from today, which we have a ton of, can be found at stablescoop.com. We really don't expect you to remember them all. And also you can leave us feedback on a voicemail line at 270-803-0025. Send more email to geeks at horseradionetwork.com. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Equestrian Collections, and all the good people over there. Check out all the stuff they have at equestriancollections.com. Don't forget the coupon code SCOOP. One. When you check out, you get $10 off your order of $120 or more. Good through April 14th. Helena, we'll see you again next week as we talk about Morgan's. We'll be back with the scoop. <laughs>